Okay, so we are starting Romans part 9, and we will finish Romans chapter 2 tonight. We'll be looking at verses 17 through the end of the chapter. So, um, we've been talking about how Paul here is um, not dealing with this dispensation of grace or the mystery yet. He's simply explaining how all are guilty before God. And in chapter 2 specifically, he's been dealing with the Jews. And that's very clear here, starting in verse 17. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God. So Paul now is definitely speaking to a Jew. Um, thou is singular. If you uh, study Old English or King James, the English that it was written in, thou is always to a single person or single group. Um, there is some debate versus if Paul is speaking to one particular Jew here in Rome or simply the Jews, that particular group. But thou, thee, that's always singular. And ye, you is always plural in the King James. So just something to note there. Uh, thou would be a singular group here or person. But he says, we'll read verses 17 through 20. He says, Behold, thou art called a Jew, and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which hast the form of knowledge and of truth in the law. Paul is saying very positive things here about the Jews. He, uh, Some people take this and teach that Paul is trying to show how Jews are simply arrogant. They think they're better than everybody else. But that's not what he's doing here. He's actually saying very positive things about the Jews. They resteth in the law. They uh, relied on it or leaned on it for favor from God, for salvation, blessing, uh, things of this nature based on the covenant they were given. They rested in the law. They were supposed to. Okay, that was a good thing for them to do, to rest in the law, to rely on it. He says, and makest thy boast of God. Right? They claim to be followers of the one true God. That's also a good thing. Uh, he says, and knowest his will. Of course, to know the will of God is always good. Uh, we've talked about how the will of God is not something mystical in this dispensation. Um, it's God's will that all men be saved, that we give thanks. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches this. Uh, clearly says those words, right? This is the will of God. But uh, under the law, they knew the will of God because the law told them what God's will was, right? You think about God's will for the Sabbath, what they were supposed to do. They were to honor it and keep it holy. Um, God's will on what meats you can eat. Right? You couldn't eat the pork and the unclean meats. They knew God's will on that. Um, if you were to chance upon a nest and the mom was sitting on the eggs or the young, right? they knew God's will on what to do in that situation because the law instructed them in that. And that's in Deuteronomy. Um, so they knew God's will. Again, a very good thing. It says, and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. So they can approve the more excellent things, again, because they knew the will of God. They were instructed out of the law, so they could approve the things that were more excellent. Uh, you think about the law and the prophets, the things that they taught. These would be the things that were uh, more excellent. If you turn to Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, God tells them, right, the laws that I instructed you in, you obey them, right, you'll be blessed because they were the things more excellent. 
Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 5, it says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgment, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely uh, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? So he's saying, right, if you keep the statutes and the judgments that God commanded you, it's going to be wisdom unto you. It's going to be your understanding in the sight of the nations. And they're going to think, right, how wise and understanding of a people this is. They're going to be amazed at the nation of Israel because of their God who's with them and their wisdom that they have. So they would be approving the things more excellent. And the Gentiles would see that. The nations would see that. Um, back in Romans it says, They were a guide of the blind and a light to those in darkness. Again, having the law, which was God's word, we know in the law, turn to Psalms 119, that the word of God is a light. Psalms 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs 6, 23. says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. Right? That was the word of God given to Israel, uh, the law. Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. Jesus says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Israel was to be that light on a hill. And people would see their good works being instructed in the law, them keeping the law. And they were glorify God through that because them obeying the law. They would be blessed by God. And their blessing would be the blessings to the nations. And so they would glorify God the Father uh, through Israel, keeping the law through their good works. Um, we, uh, Gentiles, the church today, is not the light as far as our works and what we do um, if you turn to I believe it's in Philippians um, where it talks about we are to hold forth the word of light which is different than men seeing our good works as light um find the passage but Paul talks about holding forth the word of light right we put forth the gospel that is the light that we put forth um, not our good works um, if you go back to chapter 2 of Romans verse 20 he says you're an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes which has the form of knowledge and of truth and the law so again people will take this right an instructor of the foolish a teacher of babes and they'll say you know Paul here is being condescending. He's um, talking to the Jews as if they think they're better than everybody. He's trying to 
um, rebuke them here, but that's not what he's saying. The word foolish simply means without understanding, and babes means they were ignorant of things. He's not saying you're foolish babies, or y'all think the Gentiles are foolish babies. He's not being condescending to that. He's saying that Jews were instructors of those that didn't have knowledge. Right? They were teachers of those that were ignorant of truth. Right? That's all he's saying. Again, good things. If the Jews had the truth, they should be instructing those that didn't. So these are good things here that he's speaking about the Jews um, under the law. Right? He says, which has a form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. And again, they'll say the form of knowledge is well, it's just the appearance of knowledge, but they really didn't have the truth. They just had that appearance because they were acting. You think about the Pharisees, how they put on a show, but again, that's not what Paul's saying. That form of knowledge is like Jesus came in the form of man. He didn't just have the appearance of man. He was man. Um, so this form of knowledge is actually the knowledge, because it clearly says after that, and of the truth in the law. Again, they had that knowledge, that truth being taught from the law, being instructed out of the law. Um, Romans 3, verse 1 and 2, Paul says, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision, much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. So again, the Jews had this advantage. Okay? They had a big advantage, chiefly, the main one being that they had the word of God. The oracles of God were given to them. Think about the law being the word of God given to them. So Paul here is saying very positive things about the Jews. Right, they were to represent God and be a light to the world, instructing them in the law. Um, in the dispensation of the laws, the Jews had the truth, right? and they were to give that truth to the rest of the nations. So verses 17 through 20, he's uh, saying positive things about the Jews, but we're not under the dispensation of the law. And so he's going to then show them that right, you're under sin today, just like the Gentiles. And there's a new dispensation that we're in, the dispensation of grace. We're not being dealt with under the law, under the covenant. Um, so he says, just because y'all did some good things, is kind of what he's saying here, there's some things you still need to learn, right? You're still a sinner. You can't obtain righteousness just by keeping the law. Um, so in verses 21 through 24, he's showing them how um, they break the law, right? He says in verse 21, thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Um, thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. Um, so Paul here is showing how under the law you are under a curse if you break it. Um, Galatians 3.10, he says this very clearly. It says, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curses every one that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you don't continue in the law, you're going to be cursed. You're going to receive the curse. And so he's saying, right, you Jews that teach the law but don't keep it or don't teach yourself, or you preach, you shouldn't steal, but yet thou art stealing, right, you're going to be under that curse of the law because you're disobeying it. Um, Paul just got through commending the Jews, but now is going to make the case that the Jew should turn to grace. Um, think about it, he says, Thou that sayest, Thou shalt not steal, dost thou steal? In Malachi, 
Israel's rebuke for stealing from God. Malachi 3, verse 8, says, Will a man rob God, yet ye have robbed me? But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. So they weren't bringing the tithes and offerings like they should. Therefore, they were stealing from God. They were robbing God of what was rightfully his and what he commanded under the law. Um, I know they would bring not the best that they had. Right? And they were robbing God of the best that they had there. So you can see when you go through Israel's history, you see where they broke the law, where they didn't keep it. And so therefore they would have been under the curse, thus their need to turn to grace in this dispensation of grace. Um, verse 24 says, For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. I believe he's quoting Ezekiel 36 here. But again, Israel held the name of God. And so when they didn't keep the law, and God had to punish them for that, they would have blasphemed God's name because the nations would look at them and be like, y'all claim to have the one true God, the powerful God, and look at y'all, we're ruling over y'all. So that's blaspheming the name of God. And this is why God uh, says he makes, he's going to make a new covenant with them. It wasn't for Israel's sake, but for his name's sake. If you look at Ezekiel 36, 19, it says, and I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries. According to their way and according to their doings, I judged them. And when they entered unto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. So there he says, right, they were profaned my holy name because the people that saw them were saying, These are the Lord's people, and they're not even in the land that he gave you them. He says, But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore, saying to the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. So it clearly says he's doing it for his name's sake, not for Israel's. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen, and gather you out of all countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. So they profaned his name by not keeping the law and being right, judged for that. And the Gentiles would look at that and blaspheme God, saying, your God's not great or whatever. Right? You're not even in the land that he promised you. And so that's why God uh, promises to give the new covenant basically to redeem his name so there Paul is saying right you teach the law but you're breaking it you say you shouldn't steal but does thou steal so he's asking all these questions these question marks here and you can go through Israel's history and find where they they do these things right they steal from God they commit adultery they abhor idols you think about Solomon right he turned to idols when God commanded him not to so you have Israel all throughout their history breaking the law and it really shows God's mercy for not uh, dealing with them sooner. He often begs them to repent before he judges them. He doesn't do it immediately. Um, but Father is showing, right, you've broken the law. 
So in verses 25 through 29, he's talking about true circumcision. That it doesn't just matter that you're born a Jew, but you have to keep the law and have faith in God. You have to be circumcised in your heart, not just your flesh. Uh, verse 25, he says, For circumcision barely profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. And this passage here is where a lot of people, like your covenant theologians and things, they'll go to to show that, or to try to show that the church is spiritual Israel, that we've replaced Israel based on this passage here. And that's not what Paul is teaching. First of all, he says, circumcision barely profiteth if thou keep the law. The question would be, is this true today? Does circumcision profit today if we keep the law? The answer, of course, is no. Um, he says this in Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. So he says in Christ, circumcision availeth, doesn't avail anything, right? Again, showing that Romans 2 is not about the mystery, because he's contradicting himself in Galatians and Romans 2. Um, he's arguing for the law here. He says, circumcision barely profiteth if thou keep the law. Um, Colossians 3.11 we know in the body of Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Bond are free. Colossians 3.11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. So in the body of Christ, there's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. So how can circumcision profit if you keep the law if there's neither circumcision or uncircumcision? So it's clear Paul's not dealing with the body of Christ, the mystery. He's still dealing with Israel in time past or in future time if they miss out on the rapture and salvation in this dispensation of grace. He says circumcision profits if you keep the law but if thou be a breaker of the law thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Um, a breaker of the law uh, not only if you didn't keep the covenant of circumcision would you be cut off but also if you broke the law and God gave the covenant of circumcision to Abraham in Genesis 17, verses 10 through 14. He says, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. So the circumcision was a token of the covenant between God and Abraham and his seed. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house, or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. So this wasn't a suggestion, right, that they'd be circumcised. It was a token of the covenant, and those that did not get circumcised, they were cut off from the blessing and the covenant God had with Abraham. And so likewise, if you not only if you don't have circumcision in the flesh, but if you break the law, you would be cut off um, from the blessings. It wasn't just in the flesh, but also what you did of your heart. If you broke the law, you would have been cut off too, regardless of whether or not you were circumcised in the flesh. If you go to Acts 7, when Stephen's preaching to the Pharisees, the leaders of Israel that had rejected Christ, he says this. 
Acts 7, 51 through 53, he says, You stick-necked and uncircumcised in heart. So they were circumcised in the flesh, but uncircumcised in the heart. And ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. So he says, your fathers persecuted those that foretold of Jesus Christ, and you betrayed and murdered Jesus Christ. He says, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and have not kept it. So he's telling these uh, Jews here, these leaders of Israel, right? you've rejected the law, you haven't kept it, you've rejected Christ. And so you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. So it didn't matter that they were circumcised in the flesh, they still rejected Christ and didn't keep the law, so their circumcision is now made uncircumcision because they don't have circumcision of the heart. And so he says, Therefore, in verse 26 of Romans 2, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his circumcision be counted for circumcision? So now he's saying if a Gentile who's not circumcised in the flesh keeps the law, right, obeys the covenant, shouldn't that count as circumcision? Um, again, today, we as uncircumcision do not try to keep the righteousness of the law. Um, Paul in Romans 3.21 transitions from speaking about time past to this dispensation of grace, and I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. But, uh, He's saying if the Gentile keeps the law, then he should be counted for circumcision, right? He should get the blessings. And we also see this played out um, in the Old Testament. If you go to Ruth, chapter 2, 5 through 12, right? God set it up to those who blessed Israel, who blessed Abraham, right, would receive the blessing. Ruth, chapter 2. Verse 5 through 12, it says, Then said Boaz unto his servants that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And of course, you remember how Ruth told Naomi, Right, my God will be your God. I'll bless you, stay with you. And so she's reaping in Boaz's field, and he asked the reapers, Whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and have continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from thence. Hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drunk. And she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? So she bows to Boaz, right? She shows respect to him as a Jew and says that I'm a stranger, I'm a Gentile. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. So Ruth, it was told Boaz what she had done with Naomi, how she right stayed with Naomi. And she had, verse 12, come to trust God of Israel. And so she received that blessing from Boaz. 
he calls it that. Um, also, if you look at Romans 2.10, back at Romans, Paul had already said before this point in Romans 2.10 that, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. So it's not just that the Jews get blessed if they do good, but the Gentiles also. If they keep the law, if they do what God has said, uh, they would get glory, honor, and peace as well. Because God is no respecter of persons. So if the Gentiles keep the law, right, they'll get the blessing. It'll be counted for circumcision because they're doing what God said. It doesn't mean that they become a Jew, a spiritual Jew. Um, verse 27 says, And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. So if the uncircumcision fulfills the law, they will judge the circumcision who transgress the law. Uh, do we Gentiles fulfill the law today? Of course, the answer is no. We're not under the law, Paul says. Uh, no man shall be justified by the works of the law. That's what Paul says later in Romans. But if you think about it, again, the Jews that disobeyed the law, that didn't trust in Christ as Messiah, they're not going to get in the kingdom. But if a Gentile does, he'll get in the kingdom. So therefore, he would be judging the Jews that rejected the law, that transgressed against it. Um, so again, God's no respecter of persons. Depends on uh, whether or not you trust his word and obey it. Um, verses 28 through 29, it says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. And these are really the two verses that they use to try to say, right, we're spiritual Israel, uh, we're spiritual Jews. But he says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Who is the he? Well, I think he's speaking to, again, that Jew that he referenced in verse 17. He's just talking about Jews here in these last two verses. He's saying he's not a Jew that was outward, but an inward. And Jesus deals with this in his earthly ministry. Talks about how uh, it's the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom to the little flock. He's not going to give it to every Jew, just to those that believe and that trust in him as Messiah and obey him. Paul also says this in Romans 9, uh, verse 6 through 8. He says, Not as though the word of God hath taken an effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So not all Israel is true Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So not all Israel is Israel. Again, you have to believe and trust in Christ as Messiah. You have to keep the law, obey the covenant. Um, just because you're born of the seed of Abraham does not mean you get the blessing. Um, if you go to Luke 12, 32, we'll look at several passages here throughout Jesus' earthly ministry showing this point. Um, Luke 12, 32, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he wasn't giving it to all Israel, but to the little flock, those that believed him, those that followed him. Uh, Matthew 21, 42 through 43. 42 through 44. It says, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes, in our eyes. 
Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. So again, a lot of people take this verse. See, it's going to be taken from Israel and given to the Gentiles. But it says it's given to a nation, not the nations. It's singular. And that nation is that little flock. That nation that comes out of Israel believing, uh, bearing the fruits thereof. Right? God, uh, Jesus says in the ministry, you will know them by their fruits. Talking about the Jews that trusted in him and kept the law. That's who the kingdom would be given to and given to that nation. Not simply all Jews. Um, so notice it's a singular nation there. Uh, not the nations, the Gentiles. Um, Matthew 3, 9 through 10, I guess. Or did I forget to put the book? Matthew 3, 9 through 10, this is John the Baptist. He says, And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. So again, they're boasting because we have Abraham as our father. right? We're Abraham's children. He says it doesn't matter. God can make children of Abraham from these stones. He says, but if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be honed down and thrown into the fire. So again, it didn't matter that they were born of Abraham's seed, that they were Jews in the flesh. It was whether or not they kept the law, whether or not they bore the fruit. John eight thirty nine um, through forty. It says they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Again, these Pharisees saying again, we're Abraham's children. And Jesus says, but you don't do the works of Abraham. I've told you the truth, and you seek to kill me. Abraham didn't do this. Think about when God came to Abraham. Abraham didn't reject it. Um, he obeyed the truth. Whereas these Pharisees did not. They rejected Christ. They rejected the truth. John 1, 41 through 49. Or 44 through 49. It says, Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. So Nathanael clearly believed he was the son of God, the king of Israel. He called him Rabbi. Um, but notice verse 47, Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite indeed. Of course, Jesus can see his heart. Um, but he says, An Israelite indeed, because he had, right, he would believe in him as Messiah. He came to see Jesus. So that's why he says an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. So it wasn't just because he was an Israelite in the flesh. He was an Israelite indeed because there was no guile. Um, he had faith in Christ. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 through 8. 
talks about, the, I believe it's speaking of the new covenant, and how God would give them a new heart, circumcise their heart. Um, we read in Ezekiel 36, talking about taking away their stony heart and giving them a heart of flesh to where they would obey uh, the law. It says here, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations with the Lord thy God have driven thee. And shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee. This day thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thy soul. That then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will turn and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God have scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart, and the heart of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies, and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord, and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. So there it says, The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart um, of thy seed, to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. The thing about the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. Right, that's first. It's not just to keep the laws. The Jews weren't just to go through the motions. Oh, I'm gonna do this because he said blah blah blah. Right. Um, they had to love the Lord thy God with their heart. It was a matter of their heart and the circumcision of their heart, not just the flesh. And so that's what it's teaching there through Jesus' ministry. He taught this. Um, you have to be circumcised in your heart. It doesn't matter that you're just a Jew in the flesh. That you're circumcised in the flesh. You have to have a heart of circumcision. Um, Matthew six. 1 through 7, um, in Romans 2, end of 29, talks about those who are circumcised in the heart. Uh, it says, But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So those who are circumcised in the heart, their praise is of God, not of men. Those who are just circumcised in the letter, right, not their heart, they get praise from men. And again, you think about the Pharisees. Matthew 6, verse 1 through 7. It says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not the left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be seen and be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee in openly. So again, the Pharisees weren't uh, circumcised in heart. They were doing things to be seen of men, to get praise of men. That's what Romans 2 speaks to. Right? Those who are circumcised inwardly, who is a Jew inwardly, their heart's right, they get their praise of God. Right? He will reward them openly. Um, but it's clear Paul is not speaking of the mystery of Christ here, right? because he talks about how circumcision profits. We know that it does not today. He talks about uh, uh, Gentiles who are uncircumcision that keeps the law, well, we don't keep the law. Um, again, Romans 3.21. It 
he's going to transition to salvation by faith in Christ's death and resurrection alone, not the works of the law. He's going to start speaking of uh, the gospel of grace and how this dispensation were saved by grace, not the law. Because you notice the words, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So those words, but now, means a transition. Right? So from Romans 1, 18, down through chapter 3, verse 20, he's talking about um, Israel under the law. He's talking about the dispensation of the law and not this dispensation of the grace. When he gets to verse 21, he's going to say, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So again, if righteousness is without the law, then circumcision doesn't profit if you keep the law because righteousness is without the law. So you can see Romans here, he's not speaking of this dispensation of grace. He's speaking of time past. He's not saying that um, we are spiritual Jews, we're spiritual Israel. He's talking about how a true Jew is one inwardly, not one outwardly. And he's, again, trying to set up that the Jews are sinners and they need to turn to grace. Now, let me think about David when he committed his sin with Bathsheba. He says that God wants a contrite heart. Right? He wants that repentance from David. He wants a contrite heart. Not just someone that goes through the motions. Again, we talked about, well, i got to do the sacrifice because he said it to get forgiveness. Well, God also wanted the contrite heart. Right? He wants that inward circumcision. So any thoughts or questions on this? Makes sense.